in the precious name of the Lord. I want to continue with my series, Christ in a Book of Acts. So we know what uh, the start of Acts was when the apostles were together in Jerusalem and they were waiting for the promise of the Father of the Holy Spirit. And they all got baptized in the Holy Spirit and filled with the Spirit and they all spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And I think this is a very important thing. It is not just that we speak some uh, strange words, but as the Spirit gives us utterance. And that's wonderful. And I want to continue, and from there on, the apostles started preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and we were a little bit on the traces of uh, uh, Paul and Barnabas, and I want to continue uh, this morning in Acts chapter 14, the verses 21 to 26. Encouragement in the faith. And that's what it did, the apostles. And let's read from 21, verse 21, chapter 14. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the face and saying, through many tribulation, we must enter the kingdom of God. Does it fit into a time as today in our Christianity? You hear very seldom something about suffering. And that's so important, we must understand. That was an encouragement the apostles gave them, those who just came to the Lord. They were children of God. And they spoke about it. And this is encouragement that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Let's keep going. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They passed through Pisidia and came into Pamphylia, where they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From there they sailed to Antioch, from which they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all things that God has done with them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning for your wonderful word. You are so good, O oh Lord. And we do love you. We thank the Lord that your word is food for the inner man. And I pray this morning, Lord, that we all might be fed by your wonderful word, the word of God. Hallelujah. I thank the Lord that you will give grace to speak your word, that you will give, give grace 
to listen to your word and also to act upon your word in the precious and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Welcome. The Lord is good. Amen. Hallelujah. And so as I was preparing for this sermon, I was seeking the Lord. And we know this story here very clearly, and I have to go a few verses back, or actually um, retrace a little bit. We know that the Apostle Paul, he was stoned, not to death, but he had an, a, a stoning episode. And we read about this very clearly. And then he was dragged outside the city, and there he was laying. And as all the disciples stood around him, he was on the floor. All of a sudden, he stood up and went into the city. And how wonderful it was. And the next day, Barnabas and Saul, they went to Derby, where they preached the word of God. And many came to the Lord. Then also, the apostles went to Lystra. And you know, in Lystra, there was, there was a wonderful experience. There was a man, he was lame from mother's womb. And when Paul saw him, and somehow Paul understood this man has faith to be healed. It needs faith to be healed. Hallelujah. And so, when he saw this man has faith to be healed, and they said, stay up or stand up. And he stood up, and he was able to walk. Hallelujah. This is something wonderful. Can we experience this today? Yes, the word of God is still the same. And the power of God is still the same. Hallelujah. Oh, the Lord is so good. Now, after he recovered from this, what he experienced, he stood up, and then the next day, Barnabas and him, they went away to Derby, And where they preached, many came to the Lord. The apostle also came back to the places where they had been before. And they did something. It was this. They wanted to encourage the people. Do we need encouragement? Anybody here who needs encouragement? Let me see your hand. Yes? Oh, I tell you what, you have to pray for me. I need a lot. Did you see I've got two hands up? That much encouragement I need as well. And it's important that we pray for each other. And he came to the places and they encouraged them. And what did they say? First of all, their encouragement was this year. To continue in their faith. Not just saying, well, I'm a Christian now and uh, that's wonderful. And when Paul preached and Barnabas preached, I could understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ is also for us Gentiles. One thing is important, Paul wanted to, and Barnabas as well, wanted to have these young Christians to understood, is this, following Jesus is not a short sprint. Amen? What is it? A lifelong marathon. Amen. Hallelujah. Look to your brother and sister. How are you going on your marathon? How are you going? 
I'm still strong. Hallelujah. And that's good. We need encouragement. And sometimes on our marathon, because we have a wonderful goal. And tell me what, what, Pastor Gary, what is the goal we are running to? New Jerusalem. Hallelujah. You sang the song with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's right. The New Jerusalem. And that's wonderful. Hallelujah. And it's important. Paul, he himself could say, when he was at the end of, a, of his life, I have run a race, a course. And that should encourage all the others. And we read in the second Timothy chapter 4, the verses 7 to 8. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me, and not only me, on that day. And those who loved his appearing, for everyone there's a wonderful crown. And you know the crown of righteousness is, being, is going to be given us when we have finished the race, hallelujah. Amen. We must keep going. It's not just to say, well, once I lifted up my hand at a crusade by Billy Graham and I, I went also to the front. And after that, well, then, yeah, well, then I just kept living as I was. Wrong. Whenever you gave your life to the Lord, from then on, there was the shot of start for a marathon with Jesus. Hallelujah. Now, Paul is speaking here about these things, very important. That we have to finish the course. And finishing the course is righteousness. Hallelujah. Because you get the crown then. And the crown is the top of that what you achieved, isn't it? Where do we have the crown? On our head. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And that will be wonderful. The crown of righteousness. Now, the other thing he encouraged with was this here. And that we have to enter the kingdom of God through many what? What? Tribulations. Wonderful encouragement, isn't it? Is it wonderful? If you're not spiritual, you wouldn't understand it. Everybody and all the new Christians perhaps would say, well, blessings, blessings, how wonderful. We will have blessings and blessings one after the other and we don't know where they're coming from. It's just there. And the money is coming in too. Forget about it. Paul said here very clearly that we must enter the kingdom of God with what? Many tribulations. With many tribulations. They remembered a few days before he was lying on the floor there. He was stoned and they believed he was dead. They dragged him out. And I could imagine when Paul was lying there that some perhaps tried to speak to him and said, Paul, is that what you get for what you did preaching the gospel? And I could hear 
in my spirit. Through many tribulations, we have to enter the kingdom of God. That might have come from a man lying there in pain, bleeding out of many wounds. Now we enter the kingdom of God through many tribulations. He might have said perhaps, I remember there was once a young man in Jerusalem and his name was Stephen in Greek, Stephanos. And I saw him because he was there also then. I saw him and I remember what he said. And he said, Behold, I see heavens open and Jesus the Son of Man standing at the right hand. So he understood something and perhaps that was the start of Saul. Then he was Saul when he was actually agreeing with this stoning of Stephen. But there, the word of God like a sword pierced his soul. And now he was lying himself there on the floor and he knew this is just a short time through many tribulations we have to enter the kingdom of God amen can you count all your blessings can you count all your tribulations tribulations belong to walking with Jesus have you heard this Oh, am I in a wrong church this morning? <laughs> Tribulation belongs to a walk with Jesus. Hallelujah. If they did it to me, they will do it to you. And if they never have done similar things to you, then there's a great question mark. Are you really following the real master? Or just an idea? Now I want to follow Jesus with all of my heart. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Now what does tribulation mean? The word tribulation derives from the Latin word tribulum. Have you ever heard this? Tribulum. And that's something and it means a threshing flail or flail. You know what it is, yeah? It's an instrument when you do threshing the wheat or so. Anybody grew up on a farm? Yes. How do you get the grain out of the ears? You don't get a lot of people and say, no, you have to pull them out there. No, you don't do that. But a grain is encased in a so-called, uh, I call it just in a kind of a pocket. And when you beat it, then the grain slips out of the pocket. Yeah? And then you do the winnowing. You push the, or the whole thing is being thrown in the air and there's wind and the wind blows away the chaff. And the chaff, all these little pockets where the grain is in, held in there. And then you have to 
grave. That means tribulum. That means this is just a threshing flail. You know? And you do it. Do you know what this thing looked like? It's a long stick. And then on, the, on one end, there's a stick perhaps this long, bound to it with a leather band. And then you take it, and then you hit the corn, or, or the, the grain. Yeah. That's what you did in the olden days. Nowadays, you have threshing machines. Yeah? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I, I'm in a wrong age at the moment. No, but that was a was. The Apostle Paul didn't have any threshing machine. In those days, they worked hard. On the farm, living was very, very, very hard. And I remember when these machines, the threshing machines came, you know, and, and the farmers were rejoicing. And these huge machines went through the grain field and they cut much, perhaps, two, three meters wide. And then it was threshed right away and there was something going out of the machine and a car or a, a truck was driving next to it and all the grain was blown into it. And then they had their grain. Now, John the Baptist, he brings a situation and it is this in Matthew chapter 3 verse 12. And he speaks about Jesus. There's something going on. Now these things, threshing floor, were for the, for the people then are just a normal thing. Everybody understood. And John spoke about Jesus Christ. His winnowing fork is in his hand. And he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor. And he will get uh, with his, his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. There was a cleaning process. And John the Baptist knew, under, knew very clearly, understood that Jesus is going to come. That he will clean the threshing floor. And all the wheat will be brought into the barn of God. And you know, we are the wheat, you know, and I don't want to produce chaff in my life. And all the chaff, and that's what tribulation does. Tribulation separates the grain from the chaff. And all the chaff is being burned, and the grain is going to be collected into his barn. Now the apostles also, what it did, they were appointing elders into the church. Now elders are important. We have to speak about this also very clearly. Some people have got no idea what elders are. Elders are not being selected by a vote. And elders are not run, running for eldership like the politicians do. You know, a few months before the election, they run around in big buses and their name is on the bus. 
and then vote for me, vote for me. I can bring this into the government and stuff like that. It's not that way in the church. Amen? Hallelujah. The apostle didn't go for an elder running or vote. What did it do? Anybody read this word here? What did it do? They? Well, that also. They appointed because they knew these people. They knew the man who came to, to the Lord. And they saw this is a man who has faith in Jesus. And he is strong in his faith. And he will not waver in any way. And they appointed by prayer and fasting so that they get very clear and understanding, oh Lord, this man, he is God and would be good for the church. Can you approve for him? And when they got the approval by the Spirit of God, they said, you are an elder. Does it work for the church today? Yes. It's not with a little vote you go around. And neither does an elder go around and say, I want to become an elder. Can you please vote for me? My voice is number one. Just make an X there. No! They were praying and fasting. Eldership is a decent, honest thing. Amen? Hallelujah. And I'm so glad we have got elders here in the church too. And nobody voted for them. And nobody said, well, uh, uh, I think he, he is a good, good, good guy. He is a member in a footy club and so on. Uh, he's a good guy. Can we have him as an elder? No way. The Lord must do it by prayer and fasting. Amen? And then the whole church will understand these are men you can trust them. And they trust these men as well. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Yes, I keep going, my dear brother. I'm not finished just yet. Now the elders appointed, or the, the apostles appointed elders. And here we see how elders come into ministry in the church. Hallelujah. Elders as I said, are not running for office like our politicians do it now. And they are very busy, you know, very busy. And they show themselves either in a kindergarten and put the head of a little child and stroke over. That should somehow impress the people, you know. Or go around and make big speeches. Oh, well, I can do it for you, this and this. And then slander the other party, whatever, you know. That's not with elders in the church. Amen? Hallelujah. Elders in the church, a man of God you can trust. They know the word of God and are able to teach as well. And the appointment goes according 1 Timothy chapter 3. The Apostle Paul wrote a whole uh, chapter almost in chapter 3, 1 Timothy what the qualifications of an elder should be. And that's so important. If an elder is missing these qualifications, I'm sorry. Perhaps the Lord can't use you as yet. 
And uh, Paul, the apostle, he once counted what he was suffering for Jesus. And this account, we can read how many times he received a beating from the Jews. How many times he was half death, like in this case we read about. Now elders are shepherds looking after the flock. I am a German shepherd, you know that. <laughs> yes, it's, it's my new title. <laughs> Thank you, my dear brother. You hit the nail on the head. Yes. <laughs> now these are shepherds. Paul and Barnabas wanted to order these people who were now just coming to the Lord and they want to have people, elders, they could look up to. That's what elders are there. Elders are not policemen or police force in the church. Amen. Can I hear an amen? amen? Yeah. You haven't got your police uniform on today, my dear brother. Okay, no, he is not a policeman. Call him as an elder, and I thank the Lord for him. And through his ministry, we all have received blessings and encouragement. God bless you. Hallelujah. Now, elders are not drovers like you have them in a cattle station, you know? Do you call them drovers? The ones sitting on a high horse and then having a hat and then a nice whip and cracking the whip. That's not elders, hallelujah. Elders are shepherds because the ones they, they nurture are sheep and we have been bought with a dear price by the blood of the Lamb. That's why all pastors and elders handle the church, the people, with care. They are bought with a dear price, the blood of the Lamb. You are my brother. You are my sister. Hallelujah. It's a wonderful, it's a wonderful, oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, shepherd or shepherds are not drovers who sit on a high horse. They are not, do you call them jackaroos? Yes? Jackaroos. We don't have any jackaroos in this church. Amen? But we have people who are elders or leaders. And that's why we read in Psalm 23, verse Verse 2. He makes me lay down in green pasture and he drives me beside still waters. Is that right? No, what does it say then? And he leads me. Hallelujah. A shepherd is a leader. Hallelujah. Not a dictator. He leads the people. Now, I'm sorry. Here in Australia, when I drive over the country or through the countryside, I see many, many sheep. 
Many, many sheep. What, what did you don't see? Or what, what didn't I see? No shepherd. Where are the shepherds of these sheep? Ah, there is a fence around the paddock. And if they go too close to the fence and they rip a little bit of the wool out of the fence because it's too sticky, and then they go back. But in Germany, so typical German again, everything is better in Germany. No, no, I just don't want to say this. Don't want to say this. But when you go to South Germany and you see sheep somewhere and you will see a shepherd with his big staff. He belongs to the sheep. He lo he's looking after the sheep because it could be that this so-called pasture might be close to the autobahn. Imagine a sheep would run onto the autobahn. Anybody was on the autobahn? You were there, you were there, you were there. You know, they are not going slowly in Germany on the autobahn. I know there are some young people just have got their driver's license. Oh, I wished I could go to Germany and really drive my car. The must or the best it can get out of it. Yes, I've been driving there in Germany at the maximum speed. I think it was 140, wasn't it? But with somebody else I was there. He, he go, went almost 200 on the autobahn. And it's legal. Now imagine if there, close to the autobahn, there's a pasture, and one of the sheep would run onto the autobahn. What a horrible accident it would be. That's why the shepherd is there. He is looking for the sheep. And when they come too close to the autobahn, to any danger, they go there and they lead him back. These are shepherds. Hallelujah. Where are our Australian shepherds? There are none. They're at home. They're drinking cup of teas and so on. But we see here the shepherd, he looks after the sheep. Elders are not the church police, as I said. They're being very busy finding or handling fines and penalties to bad behavior. No, 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 no. I can't have that kind of elders. We do something for the flock. We pray for the flock. Hallelujah. Now, we lived my, in our first ministry for 13 years close to Holland. Anybody heard of the country in Europe, Holland? Yes? These are the Dutch people. Usually tall people. And so, we had often interaction with the Dutch churches. You know what the people in German call a pastor, a church leader? He is a Gemeindevorsteher. Can you understand it? 
Gemeindevorsteher. That means somebody who stands before the church. And that was a German expression. But the Germans don't get it always right. No, no. We also get things very bad and very wrong. An elder is not a forsteer who stands in front of the, of the congregation on the sheep and just keeps it back. No, no. But I learned from a Dutch something. And in Dutch they don't say forsteer. They call them, Brother Eddie, Vorgangers. It's something different. It means ein Vorgeher. Somebody goes in front of the sheep. And then it's normal if he goes in front of the sheep. The sheep follow him. Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. And they follow me. Hallelujah. Jesus never hits the stick to any sheep. No. And all the twelve apostles were following him. Wherever he went, they went there with him. Now an elder is not somebody is in front and places himself there to be seen. No, we are four gangers or four gear or those who are going in front of them. Elders are the first for prayer. Elders are the first to bless those who are downcast. And that's so important. I remember, but you wouldn't remember this, but you can imagine, I was a young man as well and a teenager. Can you under, understand, imagine Werner Schultz, a teenager? Yes. And a good friend, and we always talked about the word of God. And I taught him to play the clarinet. You know, when, when the friends were here, you remember one of the guys who played the clarinet. I taught him then, years ago. And then we played together, made music. And we always spoke about the word of God, encouraged each other. And one day he said, well, I... I read a book and he said, uh, I don't know. What should I think of it? And this man or that person spoke about his or her conversion. And then this person said, well, and then I knew, I knew I'm born again. Nobody had to tell me that I'm a Christian now. And we thought about it. Can you say that? I know I'm a Christian, and then I knew as well, because I was 13 when I gave my life to the Lord. It was perhaps three, four years later. And then we had an idea. We said, let's go to the elder of the church and ask him if anyone should know how to know that you know that you know. You know, this is a typical expression, English expression. I've heard many times. And then I knew that I know that I know that I know that I know I'm a Christian. 
Yeah, what did you know? Where did you get the knowledge from? That's what we wanted to know. It wasn't enough for us, perhaps critical teenagers. Teenagers can be critical. And don't take this criticism wrongly. They just want to dig a little bit deeper. They're deeper. They want to understand why is it so? Why do you know that you know? Why do you know that you know? We wanted an answer. And then one night we decided to go and visit this elder in the church. And then we asked him a tricky question. Teenagers can ask tricky questions. And if they ask tricky questions, don't be upset. It's normal for everyone. And then we asked him, brother so-and-so, just hypothetically, if there would be no Bible, how would you know that you are born again? He looked at us. We thought, we know it only because the Bible says it. But we have, we're tricky, he said. But if there would be no Bible, would you know then that you're born again? And he looked at us and said, no. I wouldn't know either. And then he opened the word of God unto us. He said, through the Bible, I understood that I'm a sinner. And through the Bible, I understood that Jesus paid the price for me as a sinner. All of a sudden, our eyes went up. We learned something. It's the Word of God. Amen? Hallelujah. It's not enough to say, I know that I know. No, we must be able to say, the Bible says, hallelujah. If your walk with Jesus does not link up with the Bible, it's anything but not a walk with God. It must link up with the Bible and your strength, your basis of your faith comes from the Word of God. Hallelujah. We thought we could suck him in, this elder. But no, he said, the Bible. Hallelujah. Good for every elder in any church who knows the Bible and can point critical teenagers to the Bible. Hallelujah. And that's so wonderful. Hallelujah. My dear brother James, how do you know that you're born again? A witness of the Spirit. Hallelujah. And where is this? It's here in the Bible, isn't it? Romans 8, 16, yeah? His Spirit testifies our spirit that we are children of God. Amen. Hallelujah. That's what elders are for. Amen. That's what elders are for. And I must say, we were happy in this word of God, pointing to the word of God, lasted till this moment. Hallelujah. I still believe this word of God. Amen. Hallelujah.
And that's why we thank the Lord for the Word of God. We thank the Lord for the Word of God. Hallelujah. Just I know that I know is not enough. Was not enough for us two German teenagers. It's not enough for anyone. You must show them. Look at here. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, then he is righteous to forgive our sins and cleanses us from all iniquity. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. These are the kind of elders who can bless a church. That's what Paul and Barnabas were doing. They were appointing elders, not as so-called representatives of the church, because we can't get to the pastor. The pastor is high up. You know, we can't get. So we have to have elders, and they will speak for us to the pastor. No way. It's wrong. If you go to a church like that, leave it as quick as possible. These elders must be people who could point you to the Word of God. That your faith is based upon the Word of God. Amen? Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your Word. Hallelujah. We thank the Lord for that, for that what Paul and Barnabas did was being written in your word, Lord. We thank you. Hallelujah. And this church, Lord, it was strong in you. And I thank you, Lord, that the gospel through all the different churches and times came also into our time. And now, Lord, I have your word. I do believe your word. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. One of the encouragements is this here. Through a few tribulations, does it say? Through what? Through many tribulations, or tribulations, we enter the kingdom of God. If any tribulation is coming to you, then you can say, praise the Lord, I'm still on the right path. That's a small and narrow path. Amen. Hallelujah. Brother Eddie. Yes, come here, Brother Eddie. We want to pray for you. Yes. Yes. Praise the Lord.